Every day you wake up, you get in your car, you go to work, or you go to the store, or you go to the gym. But what do you do that for? Do you live in your city strictly because of how it benefits you? Or do you live in your city because of the impact you can have on others and the change you can bring to your city? Hey, if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open up to 2 Corinthians 5. And we'll get there in just a sec. So, um, this, this morning uh, marks something uh, pretty exciting. Uh, we've been talking about this day and this new series for a long time. And Rick and I were talking before the service this morning, and we said that uh, this, this is the most energy and prayer we've poured into any series we've done in the four-year history of our church. And so today marks the beginning of that. And so I'm glad you're here, um, whether it's for the millionth time or the second time or the first time or whatever, um, you're here on an on a incredible day because uh, I firmly believe and the leadership of this church firmly believes that God has something massive in store for us in the days that are ahead. And so um, I'm going to launch us into uh, the, first, uh, the first week here this morning. And so if you're at Second Corinthians chapter 5, I'll get there in just a sec, but here's the question I want to answer this morning. It's this, how do we live out the gospel in the world that is now? Now, let me, let me try to define something here for a second. Um, by gospel, I, here's what I mean by gospel. I mean the reality of God sending his son to this earth, that he lived a perfect life, then he was brutally murdered and put in a grave. And that three days later, he rose again. And then he ascended to heaven. And what the weight of that means by faith, when we embrace the truth of that, to bring us into right relationship with the Holy God. That's what we mean by gospel. So here's the question. What are the implications of that for everyday life here and now, okay? Um, tell me if you've heard this, this delineation before. Um, all this talk about what's to come, all this talk, uh, if you've been in the church much, all this talk about eternity and living for eternity and um, having our eyes fixed not on this world but on what's to come, well, what could happen at times is we can ignore here. We can ignore what God wants to do in and through us and ignore this day today because we're thinking about eternity. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't think about heaven because the Bible speaks much of heaven, but everything we do every single day of our lives should come through the lenses of, yes, what's to come, but what God wants to do now in light of what's to come. Okay, so how do we live out the gospel in the world that is now? Second Corinthians 5. This is foundational to where we're headed, so... Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's one back there on the table. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning at verse 14. It says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. 
And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here's what this is saying, okay? Pre-Christ, so prior to my life being transformed and empowered by the gospel through faith, everything about me is about me. So I live and breathe in this kingdom of what I want, what I need. I make my own decisions. I do my own thing. I don't really care about what other people think about it. I'm going to do my own thing. Okay? We live within that. But when the gospel changes us, our identity is changed. And here's what happens. We're purchased. Uh, Here's the way... um, In 1 Corinthians 6, it says, I am not my own, I am bought with a price. So that picture is that when Christ was on the cross and he was crucified on the cross, that that God purchased me through the blood of Jesus. In Romans 6, it says that we're set free from sin and we become a slave to God. The Bible equates that to freedom. I'll let you chew on that a little bit. Okay, so prior to dating and marrying my wife, um, it was just me, right? Uh, so I didn't have to really consult with people on what I wanted to do. You know, if I wanted to buy something, I just bought it. Uh, if I wanted to go rent a movie, I just rented a movie. I didn't say, hey, what do you want? Or It was just me, okay? But now I'm a husband and a father, and so everything I do bears weight on three other people. So in a sense, my identity has changed. I can't just go and do whatever I want. I can't just stay out to whatever hours of the night I want. I have a wife. I have kids. My identity is is changed in and through that calling. Okay? In a similar way, when I'm saved by Christ through faith, what happens is my identity is changed. To the point where the love of Christ now begins to control me. Okay, that, that's what's happening in, in this passage. Um, verse 15, And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. Okay, so as a Christian, I don't have rights. You know what rights I have? You know what, um, what I deserve? The one right I have in this world is to burn forever in hell. But the weight of the cross is that I've been purchased and now God is in charge and I surrender to him and it's the most joyful pursuit ever. But what happens is we then become 
what the Bible says, ministers of reconciliation. So when, when, when I live in the world, in my home, in my work, um, when I'm working out, when I'm playing sports, everything about me now is built in this identity of I've been set free from my own brokenness, and I'm continually set free from my own brokenness, and now what's happening is I then become a means by which God wants to redeem and save every other person on the planet. So, this is, this is foundational because if you look at the life of Christ, how did, how did Christ live? How, how did he die? And we're following him. And our life is to look like his. He gave up his life so that we might be saved. And the calling then for the follower of Jesus is that we give up our lives so that others may know him. This is what it means to be a minister of of reconciliation. Now, here's the question. Um, What does this look like every day? You know, those are some great thoughts, Dave. Um, I've heard that a lot. What, What does this look like on a daily basis? We're talking about getting the gospel in our life so that it's not just a Sunday to Sunday deal where I come and I check something off because I came to church and then I go and I live however I want. But the, when we're saved by the grace of God, it changes how we do everything. So how does this look? Um, I don't have to really tell you this because you know this, but we're very consumeristic people, right? Um, we, in the American culture, um, we consume and everything is built around what, what I desire and what's going to please me and what's going to advance me. And so we get a job that's going to make us look good or give us the most money. And um, we do all these things that are going to point back at us and benefit us. Okay, and so if there's an opportunity, a lot of times, if it doesn't benefit us, we're like, ah, no thanks. Um, that, that's how we live as Americans but the gospel comes along and it says, no. You think and live differently. The, the, the purpose of your life is different from what it used to be. You're not seeking your own personal gratification. You're seeking to find, you bring glory to God. And in turn, what's amazing about that is you find personal satisfaction in the Lord that Christ came to die and live on this earth and die, and that then defines who we are and what we do. Okay. Let's talk about three different ways to view the context in which we live. Okay. Um, if for, for our benefits, we'll call it a city. Uh, actually, that's what Tim Keller calls it, and we're doing his, uh, some of his stuff. So we're going to just do what he says. Just kidding. Um, city. Let me define how Keller defines city. Um, any place of density, diversity, and cultural energy. Um, so be careful when you think of city that you don't just think of like downtown St. Louis. Um, in, in the scriptures, the Hebrew word for city means any human settlement surrounded by some fortification or wall. Most ancient cities numbered about 1,000 to 3,000 in population. Okay, now there's three different ways to really view the context in which we live. Number one, as a Christian... I can engage the city and in turn lose my spiritual identity. This would be the conformist view. 
or the irreligious view that um, as a Christian, I then begin to just engage the city. And I love the city and I, in process, become everything that the pagan culture is. Okay? Um, the second one would be uh, the religious view. The whole uh, don't engage the city, don't engage cult, a pagan culture, because in turn, I'm going to lose my spiritual identity. And so I'm going to, I'm sorry, don't engage the culture so that I don't lose, so that I can keep my spiritual identity. Because if I engage the culture, I might lose my spiritual identity. So it's the whole uh, high road, holier than thou, um, you know, the whole like stay away from me type of deal. You're, um, you're evil and you're going to get your evil on me. Um, the gospel says that both are possible. That we're called to engage a lost and broken world and in turn maintain our spiritual identity. And this flies in the face of everything I knew growing up. Everything. Because it was like, oh, stay away from them. They're evil. They're bad. And it's like, that's not how Jesus lived. That's, that's not what it means to be a minister of reconciliation. So, how do we live out the gospel in the world that is now? Here's what it is. By serving our city out of our distinct spirituality. Okay, so, listen. Don't try to be like everyone else. Your identity as a Christian should define how you live regardless of how others live. Regardless of that. That we begin to serve out of our distinctiveness because here's the deal. The world doesn't, or the world needs something different. Would you agree with that? I mean, you, you will, I'm going to talk in a second about the decline in our city and some of the, um, the statistics. I, I feasted on a lot of St. Louis history this week. Um, and you can ask Danielle, I, I hate history. But she had to like tell me to stop reading all these articles and like get ready to preach. And I was like, babe, I am. Um, like, I just had an incredible time. And I'm going to share a little bit of that with you in a second. Um, there's a passage in 1 Peter that helps give, give us some grasp on this. 1 Peter 2 um, says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Okay, so here's what this is saying. It's saying, be distinct. Okay, be distinct. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. You're a sojourner. You're an exile. Be different from them. Yet... Verse 12 says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So here's the thing. There, there's a tension here where I begin to engage a culture that doesn't know God and doesn't live for God, yet I still maintain my own identity. That's, that's what First Peter's saying. Now I want you to go to Acts 17. Um, it will I'll also be on the screen. Um, so now no one's going to go there. Um, perfect. Um, Acts 17, um, verse 26. Uh, we've talked through this passage on several occasions here at North Church, um, and we're going to do it some more because it is um, foundational. Uh, verse 26, it says, And he made, talking about God, from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Okay, so here this is saying. From one man. Who is that one man? Congratulations, you get a, um, 
a lollipop for Tobin's birthday after church. Thanks for coming. You can take three. There's like 50 back there. Just don't take all 50. Um, totally lost my train of thought. What were we doing? Just kidding. So Adam, from Adam, every single person came to be. Okay? So what does this say? God created man. God, God created not only man, but everything in the world is his. Not Adam's, but God's. Okay, so think about ownership. Okay, because here's what, here's what we do a lot of times. We think of the culture in which we live and the brokenness of the culture in which we live, even in the midst of our own brokenness. Okay? And we just kind of, we're indifferent to it, we ignore it, but we forget the fact that the city in which we live, it belongs to the Lord. God's going to redeem all things on earth. All things. Okay, so he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Okay, so here's the thing. You live where you live. You work where you work. You shop where you shop. Okay, you do what you do in the places that you do them for a purpose. Okay, God has you there for a purpose, namely to be ministers of reconciliation. So, the third thing, how do we live out the gospel in the world that is now? By living out our faith right where God's place is. Like, this is what it means to be missionaries in our context. Okay, that, that we, we have a hope, not that we've earned by any measure, but we have a hope in Christ that by His grace, He's given to us. And yet we live and walk every single day around people that one, either don't know the hope of the gospel, or or two, they don't even know they're broken. They think that everything's golden. Not things are hard, and, but, but they don't realize they're broken. And here's the thing. The same hope that we live in that speaks to our brokenness is the same hope that we share every single day that we live our lives. This is what it means to reconcile a lost and broken world. Now, um, Nehemiah. Are you familiar with Nehemiah? Uh, I'm going to run through uh, about 13 chapters in about five minutes. Somebody time me. Okay. Um, You can turn to Nehemiah if you want. Um, I'm not going to. Um, If you're familiar with Nehemiah, Nehemiah is found in the midst of a a broken um, culture. Um, The city of Jerusalem is torn down. It says the walls are torn down, much of the city's been burned down, and here's what happens. Um, In Nehemiah chapter 1, he says this, the remnant there is in great trouble and shame. The walls are broken down and the gates are destroyed. Now you can imagine him saying this with, with an immense amount of remorse, an immense amount of burden. Okay? Now, 
This is unbelievable what he does next. Okay, so here's Nehemiah, and he's broken over the fact that um, the city of Jerusalem is just in just a wreck. Okay, so imagine like maybe Japan, okay, and being broken over um, a place like Japan. Um, your first response probably wouldn't be what Nehemiah did. Here's what Nehemiah did. He got on his face and he cried out to God in repentance for his own wretchedness. That's the first thing he did before he said anything about his desire to bring restoration to a broken city. He said, God, I need restoration in my own heart. Like that's, that's foundational. Because here's the thing. As I'm talking, even this morning, I feel like there's this like us-them language that's somewhat dangerous. As if we take a higher road or as if as Christians we're better. But the truth of the matter is that if we understand grace to be what grace is, it's that it's a gift. Okay? So that's what Nehemiah is realizing. He's broken. He needs repentance. He needs to repent. He needs God to save him and heal him. And then here's what happens. He goes, he goes to God and he, he pleads for God's favor to go and help restore the city. And then he goes to King Artaxerxes and he talks to the king and the king gives him permission to go and, and begin a process of restoring Jerusalem. And so he goes at night because he knows the opposition is going to be great. He goes at night and he begins inspecting. And, and here's what happens. In 2.17, he says this. You see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Here, here's what he's saying. He adds personal attachment to the fact that this city is being mocked and ridiculed for the condition that it's in. Sometimes, uh, sometimes I feel this way about North County and how people talk about North County sometimes. I don't know if you've ever, ever experienced that. Um, but here, Nehemiah, what is Nehemiah doing? He's coming with a, with a burden for the fact that people are mocking the city. And he wants to see it changed. He wants to see it flourish. And so he begins the process. He faces much opposition. Um, I, I thought of this uh, in the midst of it. Yesterday, uh, a bunch of people went out uh, door to door, just knocking on doors, talking to people, saying, hey, um, we're Christians in the community, and we just want to know if you have any needs that we can help you with. Um, and we had some great conversations. Well, it turns out that in one neighborhood, um, it was the same time for the Jehovah's Witnesses to be out. And uh, they were like uh, crossing on the same sidewalk. And so what I hear is that um, some of our, our people would go to a door and like knock on the door and nobody would be there. And they'd see like a flyer that the Jehovah's Witnesses left and they'd be like, pull it out and like put it in their pocket and like put one of ours. <laughs> which, is, uh, which is awesome, I think. Um, if I could say that. Um, there was even this, this opposition, this, this warring for the truth. And in, in the midst of this, if you're familiar with the story, in the midst of the rebuilding of the wall, there were times when it said they had weapons in one hand and tools in another. That's how they worked. That's how they lived. They, they rebuild the wall. 
Nehemiah begins to bring about social justice to the city. The wall's completed. They begin to, to, to rededicate the city. People repent, return to the city. And I love chapter 12, verse 43, that it says this, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Okay, so how do we live out the gospel in the, the world that is here and now? It's this, by engaging the brokenness around us. Okay, let's be honest here. We don't like to do this. Okay, let me give you an example. And there's no way I'm the only one who does this. Okay, so I'm driving down 270, and I come to McDonald Boulevard, and I start to get off. And I look up, and out by the left lane is a homeless person. So what do you do? You get in the far right lane to make the turn, so you don't have to make eye contact, because the last thing you want is you want to pull up, and this person's standing right next to you, and your window's up, and you're like, you know, doing one of these numbers? Like, can't make eye contact, can't make eye contact. Okay, okay, come on. Tell me I'm not the only one who does this. Okay, I'm working on it. Okay, like, because we don't, we don't want to enter their brokenness. We don't like to face brokenness, but here's the thing. To be ministers of reconciliation means that there's something that needs to be restored. There's brokenness that needs to be fixed. And we're God's agents to make that happen, which is unbelievably profound. We have a hope that they need. It's the same hope that we need every single day. Um, take, for example, the decline that's happened in St. Louis. Uh, what sociologists call white flight. Uh, here's, here's the definition of white flight. A trend wherein whites leave urban communities as the minority population increases. Okay, so this has been something that's been happen, happening within um, St. Louis. Uh, my take on it is this. Post-World War II, um, you had a thing called the pruitt Igo. Familiar with this? This was incredibly interesting. Um, this week as I studied this. Um, Urban housing. uh, I think there's a picture of it right there. Uh, Urban housing development within downtown St. Louis. What's amazing about this is there's 33 buildings. They're all 11 stories tall, 2,870 apartments. Okay? The initial plan for these was awful. Here's what I mean. Okay? The Pruitt Apartments was named after an African-American pilot in uh, World War II. Um, the Pruitt Apartments were set up for the African-Americans. The Igo Apartments were set up for the whites. Uh, who came up with that is, I don't, I don't know. Um, that's somewhat problematic, but here's what happened. Um, within the first couple years, as people started moving in, it was predominantly occupied by African-Americans, and it never got more than 60% occupied. Okay, and, and immediately um, vandalism and just the, the decline of that, what started out to be an incredibly brilliant idea, just went downhill. Okay, within the first 16 years, two of the buildings were imploded and destroyed. By 1976, after 20 years, the whole thing was destroyed. $36 million project. And what I see happened is that, that in the midst of that, 
whites began to leave the city and flee to the suburbs. And as more decline happened, even African Americans began to leave the city. And whites, because of the segregation within our city, whites then began to be pushed out even further to what we're experiencing today in our, in our culture. And it's, it's heartbreaking. It's incredibly heartbreaking, the segregation within our, within our city. And, and here, here's some statistics about that. Um, in 2000, Hazelwood and Normandy school districts, they lost 30% of their white students. And Ferguson Florissant students lost 32% of their white students that were, that were fleeing. And here's my question. As people leave for greener pastures, as, as I might put it, what about here? Like, what about the city in which we live, many, many of us? What, what, what about North County? Because here's what's happening. We're running from brokenness. Many people are running. I'm not saying all people that leave North County are running from brokenness, because that's not necessarily the case. It might be a job. It might be uh, other circumstances. But some are running from brokenness. And I've even had experiences where people I know, they come to North County, and they make comments about the decline of North County. And I hate it. But... We're called to run to brokenness. Like that's the identity of a Christian. That we engage a broken world. Because we understand what it means to be broken and understand what it means to be saved every single day from our brokenness. The gospel beckons us to, to pursue brokenness. Now here's the thing. In Romans, there's a passage that gives us a philosophy of ministry regarding this. It says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, so you read the first part of that statement. What does it say? Do not be overcome by evil. So what's our tendency? If I see evil, I better go. I better run because I don't want to be overcome by evil. But the problem with that is you keep reading and that can't be the the answer because that's a defensive response. I'm I'm just going to take off cowardly response. Um, But overcome evil with good. What is that doing? It's calling the believer to action. That we engage brokenness, that we engage wickedness, that we engage evil because we have a hope and an answer to it. In Acts chapter 26, Paul writes what the Lord spoke to him. And this is, I'm sorry, Luke. Uh, This is profound. It says, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Okay, so here's the thing. Apart from Christ, people are blinded to their condition, blinded to their brokenness. And the truth of the matter is this, that if you are a believer in this room, God has called you specifically to go and open their eyes. To begin spiritual conversations, to begin to show them and reveal to them the brokenness that is within them, that is within us as well. But it's been redeemed and is being redeemed by Christ. Here's a myth, I believe. 
I believe that many people believe or see brokenness as a circumstantial thing. Okay, so if I live in a city and there's crime and all kinds of wickedness happening, um, therefore there's brokenness. But the problem with leaving brokenness What's the, what's, what's the true condition of brokenness? Where did brokenness come from? Why is there brokenness? Where there's people, there's brokenness. Because brokenness is a, is, a, is a heart issue. So we can flee circumstances and run to greener pastures, so to speak. But in the end, what we're doing is we're just going to a place where we can suppress our brokenness by wealth and prestige. And we can drive a nice car and we can live in a nice house and we can have a nice job and we can never own up to the reality that we're broken and in need of Christ. Or even that we even know that we need that. And so I don't care where you go, brokenness is, is all around us. Yesterday, we were going door to door, knocking on people's doors, and I knocked on one house. Um, I had Mikhail with me, and so that made it really fun. There's even one house she ran in the door. It was awesome. Um, so I ran in after. Um, thanks for having us in. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, I was talking to this lady, Nancy, and just telling her, I said, hey, we're Christians in the area, and just seeing if you guys have any needs. Um, you know, do you need car repairs, home repairs, uh, anything we can help you with? Uh, help your kids, prayer, what, what, whatever. And, uh, and she said, like, man, yeah, I could use some prayer. It's like, okay, well, what's going on? And, and she's like, my, my daughter, Caitlin, is just in, in drug rehab, and just things are bad. Um, and she was just absolutely distraught over it. And, and I looked at her, and I just I encouraged her in the Lord, and I just tried to tell her, about Jesus and that he's our only hope. And I said, can I pray for you? So right there, I prayed. And I think in the middle of it, Michael, like took my hat off and like threw it across the yard. And um, so right there, I prayed for her. And I said, amen. And, and, uh, and the, she looked at me and she goes, thank you. She said, my, my spirit is so lifted because of this. And like, And I walked away from that house, and this was the thought in my mind. This is what I was made for. This is what God created us for. To bring restoration to a lost and broken world. And so, man, I don't know what's ahead in this regard. I, I hope to go back to that woman's house. There was another lady that Danielle talked to for about 15 minutes that had a rare blood disorder and she was going into the hospital and might be in the hospital for a really long time and she's like, man, I, I just don't have any, anybody to mow my yard and Danielle's like, we can do that and she's like, you would do that? Yeah, that's easy. And she was so blessed. And so, I love what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 20, 29 verse 7. And this is a little segue into hopefully the community group that you're going to get involved in this week. But Jeremiah says this, 
But seek the wealth of the, the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. There's a purpose that's different and that's greater than just seeking your own satisfaction. But it says in finding satisfaction and helping other people find satisfaction and bringing renewal to people's lives and, and to cities. That's where we find renewal and hope. So I ask you this. Why do you work where you work? Why do you do what you do? Why do you shop where you shop? Do you know your neighbors? Why do you live in the city you live in? Is it for you? Just what it has to offer you? If you live in North County, I could suggest some cities that offer quite a bit more than North County. Or do you live for a greater purpose? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your saving work. I thank you that you are a God who redeems. God, that in my wickedness, in my wretchedness, I wanted nothing to do with you, and by your steadfast love, you pursued me, and you called me out of my own pursuits. You called me out of my own life. You called me out of me doing what I wanted to do, and you said, I have something greater for you. Stop settling for living for yourself and come and live for me. God, help us to see, to have a vision for what you are calling us to and to stop settling. God, help us to be ministers of reconciliation in the context that you've placed us. God, help us to see our own need Maybe we're sitting here even right now and hearing about brokenness and we're coming to realize our own brokenness right now. God, lead us to repentance. Lead us to, to you and your love. God, may we never be the same in Christ's name. Amen.